are listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. fuck you talking about that's two now marty are you worried yet oh shit <laughs> yeah i'm worried because <laughs> i don't have that open all the time wow <laughs> hello and welcome to for the lore this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 20th of November. We've got a good show. We are going to be starting with the Switch, which Joe's taking point on, but he wasn't quite ready to, you know, seize the moment either. Motherfucker, you didn't tell me I was supposed to do the opening. <laughs> oh, but it was funny know. when I did the same thing to, to uh, Vince. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're on now. Wow. Okay, so... You, anybody who's listened has known that we started out very, very skeptical about, skeptical about the Switch. Really worried about what it was going to wind up being. Really worried about how it was going to do. Boy, have I never been happier to be wrong. And I think Roger's in that camp as yep. well. Yep. And what has been nice, not that we need to know that we're right or anything like that, you know. But it's still nice to know we've both been watching a lot of videos on this, be it streamers, reviewers, reading things and whatnot. And that's kind of common. That's a common theme amongst a lot of people who are like, I was expecting shit and I am blown away. So it's nice to know that that everybody is feeling this way because that is um, that's going to drive sales. And that's going to get a lot more people, not just consumers interested in it, but then, of course, all the devs. So I, I'm digging this level of excitement because I'm so looking forward to all these different games that are going to be coming out. Oh, not only that, and speaking of sales, like looking at sales reports, Nintendo Switch has been crushing yeah. Xbox and the PlayStation for like crazy last quarter, like stupid. I never thought I'd see the day again, honestly, but well, they're talking are, Wii numbers at points. They're saying, like, this is going to... They're they're thinking it might be leading to the same kind of craze that was the Wii. That's I, fucking nuts. Except I, for a good reason instead of just, you know... Now... It's a, it's a new fun thing. Like, no, this is a new fun thing that's also good. Well, not only that the hardware is good and that it is a good system, but they're doing something that they haven't done before. Not since, I want to say, the Nintendo 64, really. And that's a steady stream of game releases. And I don't mean tiny, shitty little games that nobody's ever heard of or like little tiny party games like, you know, Switch Tennis or something like that. No, we're talking like, and I hate to use the name, but like AAA games. We're talking massive launch titles, first party ones that are absolutely insane. Launching with a Zelda title was huge. A Zelda title that people are still playing, myself included that is contender for game of the year for a lot of folks, a Mario game uh, also released in the first year of this, this console's life cycle that is just absolutely massive. And you've heard us gush about, but not only is it Nintendo only properties that are hitting the mark, 
the third party support that is starting to roll in from the very beginning is massive. Now, EA, EA, you can go fuck yourselves. I don't give a shit what you do. And if you want to stay away from Nintendo, probably for the better, because I don't need your microtransactions on my happy place. Fuck off. The rest of you guys, however, yes, keep putting your shit on here. Bethesda, we're talking uh, Squeenix is a huge one. And, and I'll get to that in a minute. But some of the games that are coming out are absolutely insane. And one of the things that I noticed, and, and this is something Roger pointed out as well, the amount of RPGs that are coming out for the Switch has not happened on a Nintendo console since the Super Nintendo. I'm not exaggerating. When the N64 launched and Squeenix went, basically said, we're done here with you, Nintendo. We're going to go over and deal with PlayStation now and Sony and put everything over there. I thought that was the end of it. Not so much anymore. Squeenix has things coming out like Dragon Quest Builders, Lost Fear, Project Octopath Traveler. Dragon Quest 10 slash 11 is announced. They're not quite sure which one it's going to be yet. And some big ones coming down the pipeline, including a new major title that they haven't announced yet that they say they're going to announce at E3, but also something very special for the Switch people, or people that own the Switch, uh, that they haven't announced yet either that will be announced roughly around the same time. Massive. Absolutely massive. Now, before I go into the list of games that I'm going to be looking forward to that we've been getting like a deluge of these are coming in 2017, 2018. Roger, do you want to add anything to that? Sure. Why not? Um, What's funny for me is that. And it maybe it's because I've been watching the videos and like you said, I was linking you some of them, too, in regards to some of the RPGs that are coming. It's it's obvious that that's covered. So it's like, okay, I don't have to worry about that. Because that was a huge concern for me, clearly. Like a lot of people, we, we care about those stories and we want to, um, we want, we want not just small RPGs, we want those sweeping ones, the ones that really lock you in. And if Fancy possible, worlds. they keep you locked in for hundreds of hours, you know? Uh, I actually installed the Disgaea 5, the demo. And just to see, because while there were elements in four that a lot of people didn't like or complained about, there's still elements of that that make it a still a pretty strong RPG. So I want to know how it handles here. So anyways, going back to the question, because that's kind of taken care of. Now I'm looking more at things like Doom, like any of those RPG slash shooter type games that would be so much fun to play on here. And I can say with certainty that even though I've played through it once, I would probably buy again for this console, Prey, and play it again. And judging where that came from, one would presume maybe that's possible. Well, so, if Doom's possible, Prey is definitely I mean. possible. Yeah. So when you're looking at those type of games then then that really gets me excited. And I wouldn't have thought that level of on-the-go shooter um, gameplay was possible on the Switch, but Doom proved that pff, not only is it possible, we will make this motherfucker shine for you. You will love this. So something like those games, hell, give me fucking Borderlands again. I don't care that I've already played them. There's rumors of that already. Yeah, I would actually 
I would really like to get back into Borderlands on the Switch on the go. That'd be a ton of fun. And then you have the games which are, again, my my admiration of those we've been talking about, them, those walking simulators, and in this case, the, the horror ones. Give me those. Give me layers of fear on this, and I will fucking that's love already you. happening. Is it? Yeah. I hadn't heard of that. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Yeah, awesome. so... I've done a lot of research for today of just some of the, the random titles that are coming out for the switch. And that was actually one of them. Dude, I'll, and I'll, I was going to surprise you with that. Because <laughs> I know I love that game. That is a fucking surprise. Thank you. What's funny is that I was just watching sushi. She's been, uh, well, not now she's done it, but she was actually streaming it. And whenever I see sushi's streaming, I make sure to just pop in and say hi and watch for a while. And she does such a good job. And then when she was talking about layers of fear, I was like, Oh, awesome. I fucking, I can't, express my love for this game adequately and she was saying the same thing after she finished it even though she got what i consider to be the worst of the endings she still loved it and she still kind of talks about it so to play that again on the switch i would i i fucking would love it well and and not only games like that too but to to sort of put a a a another feather in nintendo's cap nintendo is doing something that a lot of the other consoles claim that they were going to do haven't exactly been friendly with and that is nintendo indie titles and or as they call them nindies which no okay whatever but we're talking like independent games that were released either like you know you can find them on steam but like they're not on xbox or they're not on playstation or they're on one or the other they're all here uh one of my one of the games that i used to love from my childhood and, and you know roger pointed this out that it was on sale the other day for me was a game called Wonder Boy for the Sega Master System way back in the day. Dude. Uh, a French indie developer actually went through and lovingly recreated the game in HD graphics with HD sound for the Switch. And I think it's also available on PS4, but it's a phenomenal recreation. Like, And because the studio that created the game is no longer around, they actually reverse engineered the game code just so they could do that. But it showcases so well on the Switch and having that game go from screen to, to in dock mode to in handheld mode is flawless and it's fantastic and it is just very well designed. Well, there's some other games that are. No, oh, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, ho, ho, motherfucker. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I got words about this game. Okay. okay. <laughs> I fucking adore it. And I didn't play it when it first came around. So I just saw it and I adore the art style that they did. It is. It's hand-drawn. It just looks gorgeous. It's a stylized look like Cuphead. It's unbelievable how beautiful this game is, plain and simple. And literally, right trigger, boom, 8-bit mode. Press down on your right thumbstick, and boom, you've got the 8-bit cue going on for music. So it's literally just boom, boom. You're old school in it. Boom, boom. You're back to this gorgeous thing. No, none at all. And it is a phenomenal game. The it's simple in terms of how you play it, but as is often the case, more complex to master. And it's just a ton of fun, beautiful at every turn. Switching into a dragon partway is fun. The underwater stuff, 
equally fun, which normally I don't like underwater, but this stuff is is fun. A lot of stuff going for this game. And I adore the fact that you get to select if you're playing as a boy or a girl when you start. And if you select girl, from that point on the splash screen when you start the game, and it Wonder changes girl. the icon, it's Wonder Girl instead. And it was like, you know, something that simple has an impact. Way to go, guys. So I I really, really love the game, and I encourage people to buy it, whether you're buying it um, uh, on sale or not. It's well worth it. It absolutely is. And to put it in context, it is a, a Metroidvania style platformer before Metroidvania was a genre. So, like, that's the type of game it is. Well worth your time, well worth your money. Oh, yeah, I love it. Now, speaking of other games that I think are well worth your time and well worth your money that are going to be coming out for the Switch, well, Super Meat Boy and The End is Nigh are going to be coming to the Switch, which shouldn't be that much of a surprise considering Binding of Isaac uh, is is already out on the Switch and is sold like hotcakes, apparently. Uh, it is one of their better performing titles, and it was a launch title, too, for them. That's pretty but damn big. Is there any other way to play Binding of Isaac, like, portably? Yes, it's on the 3DS, and oh, okay. uh, they were talking about making a, I believe, a phone version. But that said, it doesn't have the HD quality that this does. Which oh, is yeah, I was just right? wondering. But that said, I'm buying it. Like, I'm buying it again on Black Friday because it's going to only be 20 yeah, bucks. Sale, yeah. But I'm going to buy it so that I can carry it with me because I, I love that game that much. Same with probably Super Meat Boy because they're going to be doing the new Super Meat, Super Meat Boy and then Super Meat Boy Forever are going to be on there as well. Um, another one of my favorite games. Hold is on a second. Out. I got a question, please. Sure. Binding of Isaac, is it going to have also the... Um, all the expansions. The, uh, yeah? Awesome. Okay. 20 bucks. All the expansions. Nice. Well, it's $40 right now to buy it a physical cartridge, which is really, really good because that's how much it costs you to buy the the game and both expansions is $40. So literally you could go to Steam and pay 40 bucks or you could buy buy it right now without the sale, 40 bucks for the Switch or wait to Black Friday and Best Buy and GameStop and a few other places are going to have it for $20. Well worth it. Yeah. Um, now, another one that I, I talked about a, a while ago that I absolutely adore is Enter the Gungeon. That's coming out for the Switch, which I just found out today, uh, which is a roguelike twin stick shooter that has just this amazingly hilarious aesthetic to it, where your enemies are all bullets and bullet casings uh, or various gun bullet paraphernalia type stuff. It's a really great game, and the fact that it's coming to the Switch is, is huge for me. Uh, some of the other ones uh, in that same vein as well, Hollow Knight did confirm that it is going to be released for the Switch. It keeps getting pushed back a little bit. Uh, but this is another one of those hand-drawn Metroidvania-style games uh, where your protagonist is completely silent and has to interact with the world around uh, it because it doesn't really specify whether you're a boy or a girl. You're basically a bug thing. But it is absolutely fantastic and it is one of the better games that I've played in the last couple of years as far as how tight the controls are, how great the graphics are, and how engaging the gameplay is. So that's going to be a must pick up for me. Another one that uh, that is coming out that I just found today is called Flipping Death. Uh, it's an indie game where it is a puzzle platformer where you flip between the lands of the living and the dead, very much like Wakamele, uh, but it's done with like sort of this hugely irreverent humor. And it looks absolutely phenomenal and fantastic. And some of the gameplay that I've seen for some of the early builds for it, even on now, it's seamless. Like switching between the two realms is absolutely seamless. And the characters also look like they're paper cutouts almost is the best way to put it. 
but done in that sort of like super animation style with them. It's really, really cool. Um, another game that is coming out that I know Roger was interested in is Indivisible. Dude. And this is by the folks that brought us Skullgirls. So you have that very artistic, like stylized grouping, but it's it's a Metroidvania RPG. Like what? <laughs> so you, you you have an overworld where you traverse and you 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 know gotta go different places just like you would in like a Metroid or Castlevania style game. But then when you encounter enemies, you go into a turn-based combat, which is absolutely phenomenal. Like just looking at it, I'm I'm intrigued. You're combining three things that I love. I love it when they take clever approaches to combining different genres now. And we're seeing that a little bit more with a variety of different games. And case in point, that that chef game that we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. So this kind of thing where you're doing a couple of different things and then ending up in that turn-based combat, which I that's my favorite. I love that. It's just far more tactical in nature. And that's stems from my love of chess makes this something that is then any of those tactical style games I can equate to that and it it forces you to think a lot more ahead and not just reactionary. And if if this follows that and allows you to do that kind of thing, then I'm I'm all over this. I love the art style, love everything about it. And speaking of some bigger games that are are coming out for the Switch before I get into some of the the, the other small-ish ones. Uh, Wolfenstein 2 has already been confirmed to be imported over to the Switch, With which if how they did Doom is any indicator how this game's going to be, it's going to be a must-purchase yeah. right down there. Uh, you have Metroid Prime 4, obviously, which is coming out. Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which should be out in a couple weeks, uh, which I'm looking forward to actually quite a bit, uh, despite some of the, the weird anime tropes it has. There is a new Yoshi game coming out, which is this amazing amalgamation of Paper Mario and Yoshi's Woolly World and then regular Yoshi's Island on top of it, where the entire set stage that you're playing on looks like it's crafted out of paper. But like the shy guys are real shy guys and they're like the armor and the weapons they use are all crafted out of paper and cardboard. So, like, you may have a rhino charging you, but that rhino isn't actually a rhino. It's a cardboard cutout of a rhino being held by shy guys charging you down. Uh, it looks absolutely hysterical and, and irreverent, and I absolutely adore it. Um, everything I've seen for it just looks amazing. Uh, then you also have a new Kirby game that's going to be coming out as well. Uh, basically, Nintendo's going to be bringing all of their heavy hitters back to the platform as often as they can. And I'm okay with that. Please continue to give me these games. I will continue to give you money so that you may give me more of them. Now, some of the ones that I found out today that, or within the last couple of days that I think are also really interesting, Shin Megami Tensei is Dude. going to be coming to the Switch. <laughs> Didn't that fucking look awesome? Oh it my looks gorgeous. It, um, yeah. And again, I keep going back to the same thing where part of my, part of my affection that I currently have for this unit is kind of akin to what I felt for the Vita for so very long. Sorry, Vita, but <laughs> fucking you've been replaced. Because <laughs> this is the same kind of thing. I love that I can play such uh, games with such presence 
that are large in scope and everything else. I keep going back to Doom as a classic example, or now Skyrim kind of thing. That man, it's just really cool to just very easily on the go have this. Doesn't matter where you are. Fuck, we need Fallout. Fallout. Any of the fucking Fallouts on there? I, you know what? I, I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor that Fallout Four is actually being looked at to be next as from Bethesda as like port games and i would be absolutely a-okay with that as long as there's no creation club bullshit i'm okay with this like that's yeah, that's huge yeah yeah now the last one that I, I thought was really really interesting that i found today uh is that no more heroes 3 has been announced for the switch which if you've listened to us in the past i think vince and i are the only two people in the world that ever played this game but holy fuck am i excited for no more heroes it was just this over-the-top comedy-style weird assassin Jedi thing. I need more of it. And it looks like it's going to be one of those, uh, a, a nice continuation of that story, a nice continuation of those characters, and they're going to be giving it to me in a portable mode, basically, on my on my Switch. I'm okay with that. Just don't make me have to swing my Joy-Con around, and I'll be okay. You know what's funny is that you say that, but... I haven't seen a ton of games using any kind of shenanigans like that for the most part. A yeah, lot of them do. will have a, a few things maybe, but let's be honest, even fucking Odyssey, <laughs> get it right, um, doesn't have that much. You can if you want wiggle them around for different things, but you don't have to. I tend to play it in the like handheld so i don't shake fuck all i don't do any of that shit and it's fine kind of thing and i haven't seen too many of that i think the the developers understand that a lot of people are playing it with those the joy cons docked in on it so that it's portable mode so any little wiggling kind of thing is a moot point you don't want to limit your target audience to only those who are going to play it undocked kind of thing well, and the thing is, like, Nintendo has this horrible, horrible thing where they always want to make you play the game their way. Yeah. And a lot of the comp- a lot of the game companies out there aren't aren't sort of down with that clown, I guess is, I would say. But like, it, I'm okay with them being able to move past it. And even the games that Nintendo is releasing, like their own Mario Odyssey, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, you can turn motion controls off or you don't have to use them can and it gives you you can do cool things if you do but you're not required to and as long as they stay in that camp where it's not required i will be a very happy boy and i will keep giving them money yep exactly but that's just some of the titles and there there are so many things coming out for the switch um i mean even even some of the the new sega games coming out are they may not be the greatest titles yet but there's rumors coming down of fantasy star coming back to the nintendo um sega already put a couple sonic games on there. sonic mania is available on there if you haven't played it yet even sonic forces which i'm hearing not terrible things about from people uh is doing okay and that that's important because as these games do better developers and in game companies will continue to put their games onto the switch because that's they're important. making money. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, when you look at Skyrim on the Switch, now it's it's easy to make fun of, clearly, because the game is sure. unwilling to fucking die. But the fact remains that 
it came out on the console. And this game, again, it's old. It should not be doing well when it releases on something anymore. But it releases here and skyrockets up the bestseller list on the Switch store, the Nintendo eShop. That, like, other dev companies are going to see this and be saying, like, fuck, if this game from that long ago can be doing well in there, we can code new shit or we can just recode some of our old games to put them on there, whatever. Let's just dump stuff on there as soon as we can. Because look, it, it's people are clamoring for anything on there. So, yeah, I, I love how successful it has been because well, that means we have so much to look forward to. And I, and I think I have an idea of why, too, that it's being so successful, and I'm okay with this, too. Especially, and Roger, I think, could feel this, and, and, and Vince and Marty as well. As we get older, we have a whole lot less time to just sit in front of a TV or, or computer screen like we used to. We have other obligations, whether it's kids or family or work or whatever. The other night, I got called into work for an incident. And what that means is something went catastrophically wrong which means I had to go in and herd kittens. Well, do you know what I brought with me? I brought my fucking Switch. So that in between herding kittens when there was downtime, I could keep playing Zelda. It In five-minute bursts, 10-minute bursts, 20-minute bursts, it didn't matter because I could put the game in suspend mode, go back to what I was doing, pick it back up. I didn't have to devote three or four or five hours to a play session. And I think as gamers are getting older, that becomes more important, more important than I thought it would be. And but like you said, they do it very well for that too. Because I do essentially do. the same thing with the, uh, I've been doing that with Odyssey, where I'm constantly, it's constantly running. And then I just kind of bounce in every once in a while and do something on it. And and that's a big thing too, because Odyssey is one of those games where it, it, it does really well in bite size, where you can spend, you know, three days in New Dog City in five minute bursts looking for a star here, a star, or a, star a moon here, a moon there. But that's good. And I think that's why the Switch is doing so well. And I'm really okay with this. Like, I'm happier than I have any right to be because the Switch is better than it has any right to be. I'm good. Yeah. I, I am I'm content. It's funny now, too, and we'll close out with this and move on from there. But one of the this is how good this little console is. As I'm playing other games on be it PC or on console or whatever. Inevitably, I am thinking, this would look fucking awesome on the Switch. And lately, for me, that has now been fucking South Park, the, fra the <laughs> fractured butthole, which we'll get into on a future episode, but suffice it to say, I'm fucking adoring this game. And and I would love to play it on the Switch. That kind of game, this, the stick of truth and that, lend itself perfectly to the Switch, and I would adore it if they ported those over. You know, Ubisoft, if you're listening, please fucking do it. Well, Just do it. They, I'll throw money at you. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. For that. Oh, that'd be awesome. All right. Let's move on to some Destiny because we got a Twitch stream with some more news about the upcoming expansion that had me excited immediately. And by the sound of it, also Marty. Yeah. Just one quick second. I like my nostalgia button was tweaked when uh, Joe mentioned that Fantasy Star might be coming to the Switch. And yes. like... <laughs> I wasted so much time on those series of games back in the day. Yep. Like, I need to play them. Well, did uh, you just buy a Switch? No, not yet. It's not in the budget. 
You oh motherfucker! You made it sound like you were buying. So right speaking away. of Black Friday sales, just so you know, <laughs> GameStop and Ble- and Best Buy will be running specials on Switch bundles. Just throwing it out there for you, Marty. Oh, exactly. I I've been looking at it, and you know, Black Friday budget. That's you know, that's coming up next. Trust me. I'm we're getting a Switch. Like Shannon's approved it, so we just you know, <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> Totally violates my rule of, of how many video games I could be actively playing, but whatever. Um, but that's the beauty that's of it. I get a lot of sick time. You could just you could just play and put it down and move on to the next time. Like that's the, literally what Roger and I were just talking about. It's great for that. Oh, I, I hear you. And but here's the problem: that's not how I play games. That's not how I do anything. It's I will like I have to dedicate a significant amount of time to do any one thing, other because I just get lost in I have no time management. Like the switch will have to like physically turn off for me to stop playing. Probably. Oh, well, battery will die, and you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so let's move on uh, to the reason why I was invited to do anything with the show and talk about Destiny. Uh, That's not nice. Holy shit. That is not nice. And, I mean, it's not. I'm not making fun of you. I'm, I'm not saying it's untrue, but it's not fucking nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. Anyway, special correspondent Marty reporting, and we've got the. So I don't watch Twitch streams in live on the ground coverage from the planet Mercury. Oh my god! As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> I would, if I could go back in time, be any Muppet. I'd be reporter Kermit Muppet right now. Um, so this Twitch stream had Deej, Kristen Thompson, and Dave Matthews, who uh, from Destin from Bungie, reporting on what's going on with uh, the Curse of Osiris. And the first one was just an introduction to, there's going to be a total of three streams. The first one was jumping off point. What is the infinite forest? Who is Osiris? The next one is going to be more about some of the activities you do on Mercury. And the third uh, stream will be all about guns and items um, with lore being thrown in intermittently throughout the, all the streams. Um, Timeline wise, this is like a couple of months after we have spoiler won the Red War. Uh, however, there are stragglers uh, from the Almighty landing on Mercury, and the cutscene happens where hopefully everyone has seen it by now. Where Osiris and his ghost, voiced by uh, Marina Bakarin from Firefly and Deadpool and a bunch of other movies, uh, you know, she's the go- voice of the ghost, the first named and first female ghost that we've encountered. Uh, they go through uh, the infinite forest to arrive at a point in the vault of glass history. Um, and then shenanigans happen and the ghost gets thrown out the window. Um, the space time window. It looks like, how do I put this? The way they talked about the history of Osiris, who has been a founding member of this game's lore uh, and it was at one point in time going to be in D1. They have been waiting to release this character and do a lot and build up what's going on in the world of Destiny through Osiris. Um, the game, the cutscene and the game and the some of the Twitch stream showcase pieces, like you actually see what's the infinite forest and where it's located. And you find out why Mercury was hollowed out by the Vex. I mean, it just looks amazing. 
You know what I like is their take on the concept of a forest, you know, because (laughs) that's, that's, that's thinking outside the box. It's having fun with an idea and being like, okay, well we want this. And we have this idea for a title kind of thing. Yeah, but they're vexed. Ah, but what if their trees are these towers, essentially these pillars and, and some of them look like they're charred and damaged and some not. And it's like, that is brilliant. That's that's clever writing and having fun with a, a concept and allowing that to then work its way into the the actual gameplay from there on. I, I totally agree. Uh, one of the things that I was uh, trying to find, but because of my setup, I don't have that in my notes. Um, uh, the forest aspect reminds me of like some of the statistical, like machine learning techniques that you learn when you're trying to learn data science um and it which fits in perfectly for the vex because you know as an enemy what they do is they simulate reality and the big flaw for the vex has been they can't simulate the paracausal they can't simulate um which i'm going to save that for professor pogue stuff but they can't simulate a guardian they just don't get it and then all of a sudden they can see the light and it took me until the the stream to figure out like what are they I had to watch the the captions to figure out what Osiris was saying, but this is a big issue point for in the lore. It looks like the Vex are starting to get a hold of like how to actively simulate Guardians' power, and that's a big problem for for Guardians because if they can do that, now then we're fucked. Uh, Earth, and that's why we're going to have literally the darkest timeline uh, as one of the areas I think that we're going to go to, as well as uh, pre-collapsed Mercury, possibly like how we travel through time in these simulated realities. And it begs the question uh, that's like philosophy 101, you know, matrix slash sopolistic style philosophy of if it's a simulation and it's indistinguishable from reality, is it, isn't it just reality? Okay. I Um, love that you're saying that we're going to the darkest timeline because being, having one fucking city left on the planet <laughs> is somehow not, it'd be like it the shit going on with so Trump is like the shit with Trump right now is not the darkest timeline. It's like, there's oh. far fucking worse. <laughs> like, like, life yeah. still exists on earth at this point. We are not in the darkest timeline. Right. Like that, that one uh, piece of concept art they showed off of the darkest timeline where it's just mercury with, all you can see is glowing Vex eyeballs all the way to the yeah. horizon. Before they even Chilling. said that, before they said that, I saw that art, and I'm just like, "That's a whole fucking lot of Vex." Oh my god, that's a whole fucking lot of Vex. What the fuck? We're gonna go there, aren't we? Fuck, fuck. And then they say, "Oh yeah, those are all Vex eyes." I'm like, "God damn you!" <laughs> At first, I thought it was just like um, a, a retooling or a reskinning of the Black Garden. Uh, where you know from d1 the the ending of the campaign but no it's just all vex eyes and from you know precursors and descendants and modern vex it's oh we are so fucked we you know what's funny is i saw that room and now i'm thinking fuck yeah i'm gonna line up there with my devour warlock <laughs> and take you all down <laughs> motherfuckers and you will not kill me <laughs> i'm serious tristan i um I'm hoping that you guys got a chance to really do some of the clan stuff with the experience this weekend because I did with with Tristan because he wanted to level up a warlock. We fucking leveled up a warlock from 1 to 20, including all the campaign in like a few hours. 
Oh, wow. Like we were doing strikes and crucibles for fun afterwards for the engrams and stuff. So yeah, it was ridiculous. Well, he did that. Plus he had one of the coins for the experience boost and I'm guessing it fucking stacked because we ripped through shit like nobody's business. It was wonderful. Yeah, the, the, any of that stuff was stacking because I, I popped one Saturday and I walked away with like, I played for a couple hours and I had like five or six bright engrams on top of all the legendaries. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's been playing a Devour Warlock and, and I have one as well. And it's true. Like you literally, when you face some of those waves, you can quite literally go forever. They will never fucking kill you. It's glorious. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you were saying? Oh, that's really fine. Like I, uh, I was playing around with my warlock the other night, um, but I play Stormcaller just because I like shooting lightning from my fingertips and cackling. So and rollerblading. Oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Good news, <laughs> that. Been replaced. We've got a new Vince. It's my my I, my warlock is awoken and is very emo looking, so it just totally fits the whole the whole thing awesome um what i really enjoyed about the twitch stream is when they started talking about osiris oded fire is the voice of osiris that's why he sounded so familiar and they are uh they talked a little bit more about the character like he's aware that there's a cult named after him but he is not a big fan of the uh, celebrity aspect of his cult-like status um they're also pushing this idea of mystery like they sum up Mercury in one word it is mystery, and they are also saying that it ties in with any other touchstone that you've ever had on Mercury from D2, excuse me, from D1, where you get uh, the, the Sunbreakers, to the Lighthouse, which I never saw in Destiny 1 because I am not that good at PvP. Um, but we're going to get Brother Vance's back, and he's just a nut job. It's, oh my goodness, it just feels like they're really nailing like the story that they want to tell revealing and showing us why the Vex are so scary. And they're also showing us like why they're machine forming planets. And hopefully we're going to figure out like, what is the connection with Nessus? Uh, and the simple fact that like the infinite forest is inside Mercury. That's awesome. Like that's just so cool. I really think everything Nessus is just a giant Vex at this point, And I can't wait for that. I kind of think that Nessus is like, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but I think it's like a, a crash or a nursery for, for Radio Lara and Vex. Nursery. <laughs> I mean, I can totally we'll be see back that. to pick him up on Friday. <laughs> but I could totally see it being like basically Ego, the living planet, but Vex, because when we go down into there, yeah. yep. that's a whole lot of bio goop. Oh, yeah. God, it's weird as hell. But yeah. I thought the same thing too, because as you're going deeper and deeper and you get into like the lakes of it, you're like, yeah, this could be very much a, a an well, evil type situation. Especially when you consider that the lake is going deeper, because I can't remember what's his name. When you're going through the um, the Permidian, mm-hmm. and he Asher. says, Asher, when when Asher says, you're going to come to the place where I was afflicted. And, oh yeah, yeah. And and it's like it's not there anymore because it's gone deeper. It's gone way deeper. Yeah. yeah. So like. Something's going to happen. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Like, going back, if I can, for one moment before sure. you keep going, um, you were talking about how much you're looking forward to this stuff with uh, story-wise with Osiris. What I took away from this uh, was what we're going to get further to uh, Ikora's story. And because they were talking about how the others were reacting, the others being, of course, Cadence of Zavala, 
and how they coped and dealt with it and things like that. But what it meant to Ikora losing her light and being having one life left to live and what that meant to her and then getting it back and what that's going to mean still for her moving forward and what she wants to do with her life kind of thing. And it was really nice to hear them talking about that because you really then appreciate that it wasn't a throwaway. And because of the stupidity of so much of the story in one and, and their lack of understanding the importance of, of the writing and, and because they were just doing throwaway shit, figuring it didn't matter. But because of that, I'm still a little kind of iffy and kind of worried about how they're going to deal with some things. And when something's really cool, it's to the point where I'm going, I wonder if that was on purpose or if it was just a fluke in writing kind of thing. But then you see this and you see that, oh, no, no. The stuff that happened with Ikora was meant to be that gripping. It was meant to be that impactful, not just for you, the peop- the, the person who's playing and, 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 and such and experiencing the story, but for her, the character, this is of, of supreme importance. So then the fact that that's going to follow through into this expansion, which fits because it's the Warlock one, I am... Uh, that more than anything else is what I care about, which is saying a lot because I care about a lot of the other shit. But the stuff with Ikora, I'm like, I, I need that shit. I need to see how it's resolved. I care about that character. I'm invested. So, yeah, I can't wait for that. Well, I also, I totally agree. And you you have Gina Torres as your voice actress. Yeah. Like, you should really do a lot with her. And the fact that, you know, she's identifying what it means to be human. What does it mean to be a guardian? What does it mean to be, you know, basically the chief spy in the Guardians and get so much wrong? And she has changed because of this. And she's much more introspective and wants to learn more and to be and to push those boundaries and to, you know, do better. I think that's yeah. a great uh, path for her to take in terms of her story and to see it with uh, paired against Brother Vance and Osiris. Well, now we have a very... Uh, structured kind of uh, story because you know Osiris was Osiris was Zavala before Zavala right Osiris was the boss and he got kicked out by the speaker so th- to have his prime student now be the one that's coming after him to find out what's going on well now we're getting into this you know she's going to have to choose about what she was right about what she's wrong about there, there's a lot of a lot of us uh, story to explore there so yeah, yeah wholeheartedly yeah. agree Yeah, in addition to finding out all that story element, though, we're going to be exploring and finding out what's going on with with Mercury and how it ties into what's actually what's left of Mercury because of the Almighty. Uh, But we're going to see a lot when it comes to Osiris and how he is, what he's predicting and why the Vex are so scary, which I've said before, but I think we need to really dig into this because we're we're going to be going into... um, on the sh- on the stream, they said it's not procedurally generated, but it's like handcrafted and infinite and multiple combinations. So it's like I don't know, bespoke uh, procedural almost, where we're going to keep going back and forth between different timelines and different areas uh, as we explore what the Vex are looking for. Because that's the other thing that was uh, a surprise to me that they said the Vex are looking for something, and Osiris wants to find it first, which is something that. I never picked up in on the lore of the Vex. Like uh, in D1, the lore of the Vex was they're trying to write themselves into the, you know, as 
a basic particle of reality so that they will never go away, that they will always just be there, um, which is interesting and kind of cool, but is scary in the same way. I love the stuff on uh, Mercury that they show too, in terms of not just the aesthetics of the planet, which were really well done, had a, a had a Mars feel to it, kind of just a slightly different shade, but it really was very, very interesting looking and, and I liked it. But what was cool was that as I'm looking at the different things that they're doing on the planet and whatnot, I'm wondering because of the, um, the way that is being procedurally done, which I'm glad I was happy to hear that. It made me think of just a giant Legos. And, you know, they, they kind of, each one is handcrafted and then they kind of shift them around to whatever they want it to look like. So it still looks beautiful because it was still that that work that they put into it. It's not all just procedurally generated. But anyways, I'm looking forward to seeing how... The, how what the impact of the almighty like you said actually was while you're on the planet with it being procedurally changed about what's that going to then mean for are there going to be sections that are just kind of obliterated massive chunks taken out floating part like islands and shit like that or i i really want to see what that impact is going to be in just the the general look of the planet. Like we spend so much of our time there. It makes a difference when you enjoy the look of it. Like for me, Nessus, I'm always happy when I have to go to Nessus. I adore the aesthetics of it. I love the look of it and I really enjoy going there. So if this kind of has that, again, I really enjoyed Mars on, on D1. So if it has that kind of look and feel to it, plus that extra post-apocalyptic kind of look where it's destroyed up and shit, that'll be awesome. Yeah, I'm excited also because as you talk about what they're doing with Mercury and how they're going to change and it'll, there's a lot of replay value in what they have done. The public event that is coming to Mercury, I don't know if it's coming to every other planet that we're going to visit, but it's the largest public event they have created so far. Um, and they are expecting it to be fairly challenging in terms of public events, um, not just because people don't know how to activate the heroic mode, but because it's going to be a difficult sort of take. It looked um, mechan- fucking dangerous, yes. <laughs> What's that? I said, it looked dangerous as shit. Yes, it did. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Like, I'm, there's one thing I'm worried about. Like, all right, so the Vex simulate reality. They can't simulate Guardians, but they've simulated the Cabal, and they had to have known that the Red Legion was coming. Or, like, so are they just like, we don't care. We've already figured out, like, long story short, the Almighty is going to eat Mercury. Mercury's where the infinite forest is. Did they just assume that the Guardians would stop them? Like, there's, I want to know about that. Or because they just exist in all timelines that they didn't even think of it ever not being there because they could just go to a timeline where it never happened. Exactly. That's yeah. another equally good one. Or they right? figured best case or worst case scenario. Yeah, the Almighty eats uh, Mercury. But that means there's no more Guardians. So that's probably a win for the Vex anyway. No, that's uh, then they don't need to have this. Uh, tool anymore so it's a win-win for them regardless that's a really solid point so okay i don't necessarily need that anymore um what i'm super excited though mechanic wise is that they're going to add the uh raid layers so it's a it feels like um i'm trying to find the good a good wow analogy uh it doesn't it, it doesn't feel like um 
the, the, the scenarios. It doesn't feel like a scenario to me because it's still the raid, but it's just like uh, a, a smaller, tougher part of the raid that you could complete in a much faster time with uh, and get some good loot out of it. Although everything is going to get boosted and there's going to be another raid layer for the second DLC pack coming in spring. Oh, and the next bit that I was also super excited about uh, was just the the new public area, uh, the lighthouse, uh, yes. because it looks like there's a like a, a crafting bit that's going to go. That on. was very interesting, for me. <laughs> right? Well, not not in the crafting sense, but in the like, oh, it okay, was the crafting. Like, <laughs> no, but like there's an actual like progression to side content. It's not just you know do your weekly milestones. Like there's actual like something to do and something to strive for as far as, you know, getting the runes and making all the special weapons. Like it's, it, it's not just repeating content for the sake of getting something with a higher power level. It, it's actually giving me a goal to strive for, which I feel is missing from current destiny too. I will say honestly, and, and you know what my thoughts are on crafting as a whole, depending on what it was done for, how it was handled, and how much of a, a time sink it is. Because I I don't want a time sink. But I can actually see it fitting into this game. And giving us one more layer of depth to it essentially. Depending on what it is that we, we, we craft. I mean they can make it something as simple as a scope to start off with. And you work towards gathering material from different planets or whatever to craft. You unlock different recipes and over time it gets stronger and stronger to add to whatever weapon you have. Just as one example, it's kind of something that you can start off with a simple premise, work on it from there and see if the majority of the people are interested or not. Because as it stands now, like all the shit that you gather is nothing but faction rep. There's no other reason to do it. So give us a reason. Let mm-hmm. us be like, all right, there's, you know, fuck all going on in Iowa, but I got to go get some different materials and maybe go kill that boss for his power core or whatever, you know, so that I can then craft something like, again, a scope or something like that. I'd be all over that. I That'd be that'd be the kind of a daily that I would really actually enjoy. Yeah. Oh, it's what had me interested was the fact that uh, Christine was like, uh, basically said, when you're exiled from the tower, you can't get a cryptarch to decrypt your engram. So you're going to have to figure out something else. And so I just love the the lore connection to why there's a crafting bit being introduced. It's because, well, that's what Osiris did. He jury rigged his bracers and his guns got Vex tack and it's looks awesome. And it's just a great addition to what, what I'll, whatever else is going on in this game. Yeah, definitely. Um, There is one more thing I just want to talk about mechanically speaking that I'm excited for because this was where I spent a lot of time in D1. um, That is the the heroic strikes. The return Mm -hmm. of the heroic strike is going to be so great. And all they need to do is just vary it up a little bit so that, and they already do it to some degree, but, you know, just take and show up in particular strikes on IO and, you know, fallen or everywhere. Just vary the monsters up a little bit, the mobs, so that we get some more stuff out of it. But, I'm excited for the return of the heroic strike. Yeah, that'll be awesome. 
Yeah, but I've been lucky because on PC, of course, I'm playing a lot more with my son. I don't have that on the PS4. And so we are ripping through shit. And any of, like, like Joe played with me and him and some other people in our clan, they know, like, he's better than I am. He's fucking great. So I love playing with him. And he's patient and he has fun. And, and so, yeah, so we've been ripping through it. And we've been doing the, the Nightfalls as well. And we literally, this afternoon, just finished... Um, the nightfall for the week because we were having such a problem with it and we pugged the last member and we managed to finally get it done. Which, FYI, I know they're not listening, but Bungie, if you're fucking listening, the mechanic of making somebody run to heal is so counterproductive to having a good time in a strike. I (laughs) hate it with a passion and I've spoken to no one who likes it because literally instead of relying on a warlock to heal or just being fucking careful or a shield or anything like that. No, random people are running in circles in order to heal and you look like you bashed your head against a wall one too many times. It, it, it's a horrible <laughs> Is that a joke about Titans fucking mechanic. Yeah. So, yeah, they need to get rid of that shit. But no, heroic strikes. Oh, Dude, that'll be awesome. Oh, there's, you know, I'll, I'll watch the next couple streams and report back. Uh, I'm super excited. I forgot this. It just, my note says lighthouse comma scriptorium. And you see little exo, you see exos looking like monks. I don't know, like digitally copying stuff with digital styluses. It was a really cool aesthetic for the lighthouse. Um, I just had to share that. I'm just so excited to see what we're going to get. Um, and if they, they do need to change some of the mechanics for the nightfall and they do need to change the loot, some of the loot mechanics. I am so sick of the token stuff and not being able to like get what I want and have to, you know, pray for the RNG to turn my way to complete an armor set. Like I want my Titan to look pretty. Uh, so let me get what I want and not have to just keep running the same stupid stuff once a week. Cause that's the other thing. Like the, I think the idea of the meditation is phenomenal. I think the implementation of getting loot from Ikora sucks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing that I will say, and then we'll move on from there is what I'm excited for and what I'm hopeful for. I am really hoping that there's going to be some manner somewhere, somehow of interaction between Osiris's ghost and Cade. So we can have that firefly feel between the two of them. That I, I'm really hoping. And, and throw in some, some Ikora there as well. That will be awesome. If they, can, if, they met, if they pull that off somehow, I will tip my hat to them. Oh, Alan Tudyk for uh, the next DLC. And what's her name? Um, Jewel State. Jewel, yeah. For uh, uh, at least by the X-Pack. So. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Okay, let's move on from there. Vince, you were talking about uh, Titan Quest. Are you playing it again? Uh, not again. I'm playing it for the first time. Oh, okay. Cool. Because uh, for those who don't know, Titan Quest is a uh, Diablo-style action RPG. Came out in uh, around 2006. Um, got a first expansion in 2007. And then disappeared because the studio couldn't you know, get funding for their next game. The studio shut down. Most of the founders for that studio actually went on to make a new studio. Uh, I forget the name of that one off the top of my head, but they're the makers of Grim Dawn, another very good Diablo style ARPG. 
And when they made Grim Dawn, they went back to THQ and actually bought the technology from Titan Quest. <laughs> so they took all their hard work from Titan Quest and actually carried it over to Grim Dawn. But I mean, that was kind of the end of Titan Quest because THQ went out of business. Well, Nordic Games got the vast majority of THQ's uh, library in the clearance sale. I think they spent like $5 million for like 150 different IPs. Which is why one of our favorite IPs is coming to another game soon. Yes. Jesus. (laughs) So, uh, you know, of all those IPs, like Titan Quest was pretty far down the line. Um, I I never played Titan Quest when it first came out. I couldn't tell you why. I was always interested in it because A, it was a Diablo style game. And B, it was based on mythology, which is has always been an interest of mine. It's it's essentially um, building off like the kind of mono myth of how all these you know, ancient uh, religions and mythologies are built on you know stories of these new gods rising up and uh, building society by conquering the ones that came before. And Titan Quest goes well. Okay, well, what happened with those ones that came before? And it's it's stories we've seen elsewhere, elder gods and whatnot, but it created a connection between them by starting you off in ancient Greece and dealing with, you know, the Olympians and them dealing with, you know, the actual Titans that are in Greek and Greek myth. And then carrying that plot thread to through to also intersect with Egyptian myth and in uh, their expansion, Chinese myth. So it was very interesting and it gives you a lot of opportunity to explore all these you know, different uh, ancient beliefs and all the great iconography that comes along with them. And then, you know, that was it. Um, in 2016, THQ Nordic actually released, uh, you know, Nordic renamed themselves to THQ Nordic because they also got, in their sale, they also got the actual branding of THQ. <laughs> um, they released an anniversary edition for Titan Quest, which, you know, basically it didn't, update anything with like the actual graphics engine but it made it capable of running at higher resolutions and it's okay like it still looks like a game from 2006 but at least you're not playing it in like you know a 480p resolution anymore but they also uh put in a lot of like ui and balance tweaks and stuff like they they'd seen what a lot of the community had done through mod support over the years to make titan quest a little more modern of a game and they rolled all that into the uh, anniversary edition which was nice to see and i'm like okay you know it had been on like the back burner of you know maybe one day i'll play that game and then literally out of nowhere last friday they announced a new expansion titan quest ragnarok they didn't just announce the new expansion they said oh the new expansion is out now so uh, now in this new expansion, you're uh, going to be, of course, given the name Ragnarok, playing through the uh, the Norse mythology. And that's uh, super interesting to me, of course. So I went back and I was like, OK, well, let me now might be a good time to get into Titan Quest. Uh, don't know when this episode is actually going to come out, but if you're lucky uh, until the 22nd, the anniversary edition is on sale on Steam for four bucks. Yeah, I was actually nice. just looking at it. Same so I'm like, you know what? Four bucks, I'm in. Uh, the expansion is also on a, a discount from 20 down to 15 but I haven't picked up the expansion yet. And I got to say, it's absolutely a very dated game, but I'm still having a lot of fun with it, and I like a lot of the interesting things that they're doing with the system, and now I'm going to want to go on and you know spend some more time with Grim Dawn, seeing how a lot of the stuff started and carries over and has been evolved into Grim Dawn. When you're saying dated, 
on a scale of D2 to D3? Much harder into the D2 side okay. of things. All right. It's as more like as eight, far eight, as like one almost. Let's put yes. it this way. In a good way or in, they could update it? Uh, in In the actual like physical playing of the game as far as like casting your spells and targeting and stuff like that. It's not as... No, but what I mean of, is, it, is it well implemented? You can have a dated system that still mm-hmm. kind of is well implemented and it's like, okay, it's dated, it doesn't have a lot of things, but it works and it's all right. I, I'm enjoying it. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll tell cool. you that much. Like, I'm, ha- I'm having fun playing the game. Awesome. So, like, a lot of the interesting things that they do here is um, there's no classes. You start your game, you have two options at character creation, male and female. That's it. <laughs> oh, and you get to pick the color of your tunic. So when you get into the game, uh, once you get your first level, you uh, unlock a number of masteries to choose from. Uh, There's warfare, defense, rogue, uh, nature, storm, fire, earth, and spirit. And then you pick one of those masteries and that gives you essentially a uh, talent tree, much like, you know, the typical Diablo 2 talent tree, if you will. Although you have a lot more freedom as to like how to explore the tree and what skills to unlock and how they interact and, and that stuff. It's pretty nice. And then at level eight, you can pick a second mastery. So then those two masteries combined and the skills that you pick and choose determine essentially what class you are. Uh, in the first expansion, the one where they went to China, they added in another mastery of dreams. And then in the new Ragnarok expansion, they added in a rune crafting mastery, which is, you know, about like yeah, drawing runes on the ground for like healing and defense and stuff like that. A lot of like um, guardians and guild wars would be a good way to say it. Obviously, Titan Quest isn't the only game that's done this. It's very similar to how uh, like Rift did their character uh, advancement stuff. But it's still really fun to me because I like, you know, I, I love coming up with interesting builds and seeing various synergies and how things can work together. So, like, I, I've only created one character and he's only level 10 at this point. But I, I already have, like, so many options available to me and all these little figuring things out. Like, it for, for like, the, the crunchy mechanic side of the game, like, it's interesting, but it's not like it's not Path of Exile level of, OK, you have to do exactly this or you're fucked. Uh, beyond that, uh, another interesting twist is the loot is much more realistic. Enemies will only drop loot that they're actually using. So if a guy is attacking you with the sword, you know, odds are when you kill him, he's going to drop a sword. If you're fighting a spellcaster, you're more likely to get spellcaster loot and stuff like that. So it, it, it's fun and interesting it, without like you don't have the, I killed a random cave bat and a legendary battle axe popped out. But there's still that element of the non-humanoid critters you come across will drop like materials and stuff that then fold into like the crafting system of the game uh, of how you have like these materials that you can attach to your armor and weapons immediately for a small boost. Or if you combine enough of them together, you can get actually get like a powerful artifact out of it. So it's, it's simple. It's obviously not up to 2017 gaming standards, but again, for my four bucks, I am more than entertained. I, I, especially as somebody who's a big mythology nerd, like I, I'm having a lot of fun with the and seeing the story and th- these places and these things playing out. And the actual game thus far I, has, has been pretty enjoyable to me. I, I'm looking forward to uh, getting through all of the old content so I can actually try the new expansion as well. Cool. Is it kind of like um, Diablo in terms of there being just, you know, you got your campaign and then once you're done with the campaign, you're doing just shit 
going out and doing B riffs, greater riffs, that kind of thing? Or are you uh, it's always more doing akin to Diablo 2 of, okay, you're just running bosses over and over again trying to get better loot. Gotcha. Okay, okay. There is no real end game as we know it today. Is there any story or campaign or something like that? Oh, yeah. They, there, okay. There's a campaign. Yeah, they like said there's... Um, uh, at this point, three major arcs of going through the, the Greek mythology, the Egyptian mythology, and the Chinese mythology. Okay, so it's not just lore, it's around as you're doing little things. There's a oh, no, full there's an actual okay, uh, cool. storyline of having to fight back these elder gods uh, by aligning yourself with the, air quotes, modern pantheons of the mythologies. It sounds pretty good, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, yeah, it, like it always had, had been interesting and like the reviews were never bad for it just for whatever reason i never got around to it and you know well now's a decent time because i said it was four bucks yeah no kidding jeez okay with that we are going to call it a wrap for the episode thank you very much for joining us you can find the show notes at forthelore.com you can find us of course on twitter as well at for the lore or individually joe is loader zj vincent simodian marty is officer gleason and i am zen buddhist you can also leave us your thoughts on itunes and stitcher and with that we will see you guys next week Okay, class, I really hope you've got something to take care of yourself this time around, because this time we're going into the ancient history of the Hive, and more specifically, into the sword logic. And the clicking that you're going to be hearing throughout this is me cycling through notes internally. I've got a busted nanite or 2,000, and uh, yeah, so the clicking is, I apologize, but whatever, you're here to listen and learn. Not to get critique, not to critique me on my state of being. So last time we ended with the first Crota Fire team and the Battle of Mare Imbrium, and basically facing off against paracausal enemies that had wanted to destroy us. And uh, I also mentioned briefly that it's similar to the Cabal, but unlike the Cabal, who have servant races, the Hive have none. The Hive are just the Hive. And that has to do with their early history and the proto-hive. Possibly billions of years ago, before maybe even the creation of our own planet, the hive lived on a world, a gas giant with 52 satellites known as the Fundament. The Fundament was uh, had a breathable atmosphere or had some sort of properties that allowed for the flotsam and jetsam of other civilizations that were stranded there to actively survive in some way, shape, or form. Of all of these races, the weakest among them uh, were the proto-hive, sometimes referring to themselves as krill, because they were readily feasted upon by other civilizations and by the terrible monsters that lived on the fundament itself. What leads to the creation of the hive is this. The hive itself was led by the Osmium king, and he had three daughters. And as the king got older, he uh, started talking to a dead worm, similar to the one that I mentioned last time. These worms gave them power, although it didn't give him power as such yet because it was still locked away. It whispered secrets to him which is scary and should be a bad sign. Never talk to a worm that has secrets for you. 
uh, whether that worm is a worm of darkness or an Ahamkara. Anyway, the king was convinced that there would be the arrival of a, another satellite within the fundament, and that would create a syzygy, a tidal wave of such power that would wipe away all civilizations of the fundament. Uh, the teacher of the Osmium king's children, a being known as Tawax, uh, feared that the king was no longer fit to lead and sold the king out and led a coup, uh, wherein Tawax became the ruler of the Osmium court and they became a subservient race to the helium drinkers who were similar to the hive, but not entirely the same. Oryx, uh, the Osmium king's daughters fled and uh, for years uh, looked for a way to get their revenge. They found a ship, they sailed it across the fundament, and they took it deep into the fundament and discovered worms and the darkness and a being known as the Leviathan that warned them away from this path of revenge. We should all be very careful. Don't talk to worms who promise you uh, revenge. It will lead to your downfall and your corruption of your soul and your light into a being of pure darkness. Because that's what the hive became. Uh, armed with the power of the worms and agreeing to carry the worms like symbiote, symbiotes, uh, Oryx and his sisters, notice the words I'm using, Oryx and her sisters, but eventually Oryx and his sisters, uh, reclaimed the, their throne, conquered the fundament, and then went to war with the other races that lived in the system of the fundament, including a race of individuals known as the Ammonites. And the Ammonites are special because the Ammonites had a 53rd satellite that was helping them reach their own golden age. In short, the Ammonites were protected by the Traveler. So Oryx and his sisters, excuse me, Oryx and her sisters went forward with the power of the worm gods Akka, Ir, Ur, Zol, and Yol, went to war, and eventually defeated the Ammonites, defeated another race known as the Ecumene, who were also raised by the Travelers, uh, ate the gift mast of the Traveler uh, for another race of, of dragon-like things, which may or may not be related to the Ahamkara. We don't know. We don't care. All in and then follow the Traveler here to Earth to gain revenge for the destruction and for the murder of their father. Now, at a certain point in their history, Oryx, uh, the navigator, uh, became uh, convinced that they needed to gain more power from the worm gods, went into the darkness, took the power of the worm Akka, and then became Oryx with an O, excuse me, Oryx with an O, uh, then changed their morphology to be that of a knight and became Oryx the Taken King and learned the ability to paracausally reshape the basic fundamental identity and abilities of other corporeal races. Amongst the Taken, there may be other shades of races the Hive has encountered before. Um, sorry about that. I told you, the nanites are busted. Uh, but at the end of the day, what matters is Oryx took the role of king and went to war, uh, all in pursuit of what is known as the sword logic, which is a terrifying philosophy that makes social Darwinism look quaint. 
Sword logic comes from the darkness, and it is a philosophy where you gain tribute through killing, where you gain uh, power through devouring the light of another, and you tithe uh, to those who make more than you, or more powerful than you. Uh, it's called the sword logic because it is based on the idea that when the sword kills something, it remembers what it kills because of the notches within the sword. And that if the sword logic means that only the strong survive and only the strong have the right to survive. So if a race, is, so even if the hive are defeated in the end, sword logic is not to be proven incorrect. In fact, it is proven to be true because the hive were not worthy of being uh, led. Uh, the hive were not the true uh, pen, uh, ultimate form of the sword, log sword logic. The sword logic itself is terrifying because it gives the idea not just that things are that creatures and other sentients are not worthy of life, but that you have to murder and kill and destroy in order to prove your supremacy, in order to gain power, in order to feed those things that you have agreed to pay tribute to. In this case of the hive, they've agreed to pay tribute to their worm gods, of which they actually killed one and may kill more of in the in the future. We don't know. Now I mentioned previously that this is where the this is where the Vex come in. As it turns out, Crota, uh, before he went to the moon, uh, was pl uh, playing with becoming ascendant himself, or playing with the ideas of ascendancy. Ripped open a portal of space and time, and the Vex appeared into their sealed dimension, into their throne worlds, into Crota's throne world and the throne worlds of others. And this is where the Hive learned, excuse me, this is where the Vex learned the sword logic and then adapted to incorporate it into their own programming and base conception of reality. Whether or not all Vex follow the sword logic is unknown, but this is how terrifying the Vex are. Whereas before obstacles would be removed, now obstacles must be destroyed and they gain power through worship. And we have seen the Vex engaged in worship. So, of everything we've talked about, for me, and hopefully for you, the sword logic is the most terrifying aspect of it. It's a philosophy that stems from a race of, of small creatures who became engulfed in the idea of revenge for revenge's sake and were willing to sell out their souls and their light to gain revenge. If that's not a warning tale on a cosmic scale for humanity as we enter possibly a second golden age, I don't know what is. Now then, next time we'll come and talk about probably the Vex. But until then, take care of yourselves and don't fall for the sword logic because it's bullshit. Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music.
You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.